I don't know about you, but I always forget to drink enough water, especially when I'm in back-to-back meetings. That's why I've been loving Element. It's an electrolyte drink mix that's free of sugar, artificial colors, and other not-so-good-for-you ingredients. I even have it on my desk when I'm recording episodes just to make sure I stay hydrated. Plus, their new chocolate mint, chocolate chai, and chocolate raspberry packets are designed to be enjoyed hot. I love adding it to my morning coffee or drinking it on its own on a cold day. Right now, Element is offering a free sample pack with any purchase. That's eight single-serving packets, a great way to find your favorite flavor. Get yours at drinkelement.com forward slash girlboss. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T dot com forward slash girlboss. Thank me later. Hello. (laughs) I have to say I missed all of you so much. Not recording Girl Boss for the last few months has been a massive void for me and I am very, very happy to be back. But on top of missing all of you, I missed both of you. You two. Hi. Hello. So today I'm actually joined by Victoria and Liz. And for those of you who do not know, at the end of every episode I've ever done, I've given credit to two folks that have been integral and a big, big part of the recording of this podcast. So Victoria and Liz, I just want to hold space for you both to introduce each other or yourselves to the audience. Ooh, should we introduce each other? Okay, I'll introduce Victoria and Victoria will introduce me. Ooh, I love, love that. Less, less cheesy, less self-promotion. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so please meet Victoria, who you'll hear from in a bit. If you've listened to our ads, you would have also heard her voice, her lovely, lovely, classically trained voice reading the ads. But yes, she's our senior writer at Girlboss. If you read the Girlboss Daily Newsletter, then you will also have read her words. So she's my partner in crime and co-producer on this podcast. She wrangles the guests, deals with schedules, and is always behind the scenes. She's the one that hits stop and start on every recording. And generally, this podcast would not exist without her. Oh my gosh, Liz. I'm like, okay, I'll pay you later. Let me know what your Venmo is and I'll send you an e-transfer. Liz is our incredible co-producer. She's the head of Girlboss, so no big deal. She was our amazing editorial director for two years and then now has stepped into general manager. So she's like the be-all, end-all head of the company and doing everything from revenue and also content. And she also edits all of our episodes and just as like the final magic touch on everything you see across Girlboss, which is pretty freaking iconic. Yes. And I'm so excited to be joined by the two of you to introduce these conversations, mainly because I want to share some of those insights because I think that you all that are listening in always hear the conversation, but you don't actually get my thoughts and like the team's thoughts. So thank you. I think that this is like a nice new way. And I'd love to hear in the comments and from those of you listening, like if you enjoy this new format, I have been an entrepreneur for like five years. I haven't had a boss. So I actually met my boss last night for the first time who's Liz and Victoria feels like a boss So that was very interesting. We had dinner for the first time. We've never met in person and we've, what, recorded how many episodes? 40? Probably at least that many. Close to it. Plus there's the ones that never made it to (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the ones that we don't talk about. So getting back when I took on this opportunity to host Girl Boss, it was a big shift for me. I work and lead a consulting firm doing HR and DEI work, but had never actually hosted a podcast before or been in like journalism, if you will. Yeah, it was interesting like having this conversation with our next guest that I'll share more about, who's Lily Singh. And one of the biggest takeaways from the conversation that I had was how she is really big on like lifting other women up. She shared something that was a massive aha moment for me 
me that was this very sweet thing that she did in support of Taylor Tomlinson. And I wanted to kind of hear what your thoughts were. I haven't had enough of that advocacy and support personally in my career as a woman. And I want to know if that's been similar for you both as well. Or like, what did you think about what Lily shared? Just to tease a little bit of what happened. So Taylor Thomason is the newest woman comedian to be a late night host and have her own show. She was chosen by Stephen Colbert. She's also an amazing TikTok follow. I adore her comedy. Um, she does crowd work. She's just really, really hilarious. And of course, Lily Singh is also a very notable woman of late night. And so she told us that what she offered to Taylor was this hour or however long call to just give her all of the knowledge that she learned because no other woman had done that for her. And she said, I just really want her to win. And if this is a way I can help her win, I'm going to do it. At the time that we had our interview with Lily, that phone call hadn't happened yet. So maybe it's already happened. And Taylor is like well-equipped and well on her way to winning at late night. But yeah, to your point, imagine getting to meet the person that did your job before you did it and getting all of the pitfalls and all the warnings and all of the hope up front. That would be great. Absolutely. For me, when I took on this role at Girl Boss, there was two other hosts that hosted this podcast prior and they didn't reach out. And I'm not saying that this is like a good or a bad thing. It's neutral. But I think that when Lily had shared that, I was like, damn, that would have been so helpful in entering into this space. And I mean, to be fair, perhaps I could have reached out to them to get support and help. But there's something to be said about folks that have paved the way that have got that seat at the table, for example, or have broken that glass ceiling that lift you up with them and then also support support you while you're there is something that I think would have been really helpful and appreciated and something that I don't think a lot of us do. So I've taken note in the event that I ever pass the torch, I want to be there to support the person that's taking this on next. Really, people don't reach out. I will maybe have like one or two of those like mentorship chats every few months because they think, oh, like we're too busy. But honestly, it makes me so happy. So I know it's a little bit different from what we were talking about. But again, just like it's not sometimes what you know, but who you know is so instrumental. So you probably know Lily Singh. She got her start on YouTube in 2010 under the handle Superwoman and now has over 40 million followers across her socials. Lily was the first openly bi person and South Asian person to get a slot on late night television with her show A Little Late with Lily Singh. And today she owns a production company called Unicorn Island, which combines entertainment with social impact. We knew right away we wanted her to be our debut episode of season three and you'll see why. Yeah, this was one of the easiest episodes to edit as well, just because every sentence is such a gem. You'll be nodding along to the whole episode and you always know it's going to be a good one when you barely have to even touch it in the post. So enjoy. Lily, welcome to Girl Boss Radio. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. I am excited to have you here. So a little background, you and I actually unintentionally attended the Shania Twain concert together. <laughs> and I think my first words to you were, I bought you this jello shot. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So that is where our relationship started. I'd be happy with it. That is a very great way to meet a person. I think the jello shots can be a really great bridge builder. So thank you for the shot. Of course, yeah. <laughs> I think your first words to me were, is this happening? <laughs> Yeah, I know that the audience, I talked about having this conversation today and I had like 300 people reach out to me. It was the most excitement I've had for any guest. Oh, wow. I'm flattered. Thank you so much. Thank you, audience. That really means a lot to me. I'm so glad. Yeah, people are coming out of the woodwork with all sorts of questions. People know a lot about you. They're like, I want her to nerd out. (laughs) I'm both excited and terrified. Yeah. So one of the big questions I got from folks was, uh, you know, I know you started your career on YouTube and a lot of folks were interested in like, what advice do you have for people that have something to share with the world, but they don't know where to get started? I actually have 
two pieces of advice. One I've believed for a long time and one that is relatively new. The one I've known for a long time is that Rules are great sometimes, but rules can also really prohibit creativity. And during my come up on YouTube, there were a lot of rules about how you were supposed to share yourself with the world, what those avenues would look like. You have to move to LA, you have to get a casting agent, you have to audition for things, you have to go to school for whatever those things are. And I'm sitting there as a brown girl in Toronto being like, okay, I cannot get a job in entertainment. I did not go to school for anything related to this. I don't know how to do comedy. I don't know how to write. I don't know how to do any of these things. But I just knew I wanted to share, you know, my perspective on different things. And so I broke the rules. And I think it is important to really have that conversation with yourself where you have to make a decision between leading with fear or leading with the passion you have to do something. And sometimes those things can be at ends with each other. And there was lots of times in my career where it was fear versus, am I scared to do this? Or do I want to do this so bad that it will overcome that fear? And you got to throw the rule book out. You know, I started making YouTube videos. I didn't know how to edit. I'm not formally trained in comedy. Everyone assumes that people in my family will work in entertainment. No, I'm the first person in my family to work in entertainment. First person to do anything I'm doing. I threw the rule book out the window and I took a chance. And this pivots to my second piece of advice, which is a big part of throwing the rule book out the window is you have to be okay with discomfort and change. Discomfort and change are the currency of success. And even right now, as I think about my career, I love social media and I love creating content. I did that for a long time. I think now where I am in my career is a really scary place, which is I think I am done creating in this way and I really want to create in this way. And I think I've been so attached to a new rule I made for myself, which is like, well, now you're a content creator. And now I'm trying to break that agreement as well. So I think this is my long-winded way of saying, throw the rule book out the window, but don't do that once. Be comfortable with doing it over and over and over again to do what it is you want to do. And you have to be fearless. You won't always be fearless, but you have to keep stepping into that discomfort of being fearless. So when you say that you don't want to create in an old way and you want to create a new way, what is that new way? I mean, I love social media. Don't get me wrong. I love it. And I love the types of stories you can tell on social media. But I find as I'm growing older and because I've done it for so long, I find myself more and more not wanting that instant feedback, that instant gratification. I want to sit in an idea longer. I've been working on my first feature. I've been writing longer format things. And I've been really able to develop characters and stories and like really sit with something to be like, what am I trying to say? I don't feel I always did that on social media. It's much more like, what am I posting today? What am I posting tomorrow? What's the thing that's happening next week? And it's not that anything's wrong with that. I just think my creative desire now is to sit with things for longer and not have feedback all the time for things. And I, I don't know if that's the right place to have those stories on social media because social media in essence is a very quick, digestible, instant feedback. What do people think right away type of atmosphere? And I've done that for a long time. Yeah, it's a progression. And I think that one of the most exciting and intimidating things for any artist is like a blank canvas. I paint a lot. And I think that when you switch up your medium, you get a whole new space to play with. So I think that that's really exciting. And one thing that really resonated with me that you talked about was the role of fear. Why do you think that fear is just not necessarily something that you should totally listen to? Well, don't get me wrong. I think everything is a double-edged sword. I think fear exists as part of our body for a good reason, to tell you that something may be dangerous and you shouldn't put yourself in this situation. So fear is important sometimes. But okay, I've been nerding out over the past two weeks. You're going to get a nerdy version of me right now. Is that okay? Yes. So I finally, Avery, finally, this past two weeks have used my psych degree. (laughs) 
that I have. And I've been really diving into like this idea of the parts of our personality, the id, the ego, the super ego. So I'm going to vaguely reference that, but I won't nerd out too much. I think fear some of it is to protect us. So even as a kid, I think there's certain things that you'll be like, I'm scared of this dog that is barking at me loudly because my body is telling me to be scared. That is not the same thing as I am scared to go on this stage and sing because people are going to make fun of me. One of those things is learned and one of them is kind of a biological reaction, right? And so I think what I've really been working on over the past two weeks, particularly, is ego strength. And what that means, and I don't say ego in the sense of like, I got an ego, I'm the best. I'm talking about like Freudian ego strength in terms of there is fear that is based in reality, the things that you're taught, gravity, animals, whatever it may be, fire. And then there is the super ego, which is the things that we are taught. Right. So one is not taught. One is taught. What will people think of me? Uh, What happens if I have a different sexual orientation? What happens if I'm really bad on this audition? Your ego is the thing that negotiates all of that. It decides, Okay, this is a fact. This is something that society is telling me. What am I going to do in this situation? Having good ego strength means that you can take all this information and still make a choice that you value and you stand by. And you don't have that icky feeling after where you're like, I did that. But like, I don't think that's what I wanted to do. I don't think I listened to myself. I'm trying to get to a place, and and that has to do a lot with fear. I'm trying to get to a place where I have enough ego strength where I can determine the fear that is learned and the fear that is like a biological protection because they're not the same. So with everything you've accomplished, what does your dream job look like today? So the answer I, I feel right to give you right now is that my current desire and dream job is I want to do more TV and film, mostly because I'm really falling in love with longer form storytelling and writing and learning. I think it is not better than social media. It is different enough where I've become a student again. And I think with content creation and things I've done in the past are really exciting. But I almost felt like I got into a pattern where I wasn't learning anything new. I wasn't being challenged. It was the same type of thing. And now I'm a student all over again as I learn how development works, how TV writing works, how movie writing works, what a movie set looks like, what the sound design that goes into that looks like. I'm just learning all over again. The reason I was hesitant to answer this question is because... I think this is an ever-changing answer, honestly. I think every two years, if you ask me what my dream job is and what my desire is, I think the answer is going to change, and I'm okay with that. I think the beginning of my career, that stressed me out. To be like, no, you got to pick a thing. You pick a lane, and then you do that thing, and you work really hard, and that's your job, and that's what you are. I have great resistance when it comes to being in a box of any type. It just like doesn't feel good to my spirit. I want to always be able to explore and be a student. I think the thread that will always be the same, no matter what my job is, I believe is going to be, I like to create. Everything I do goes down to creation. I love to write. I love to act. I love to make charcuterie boards. I love to set a table. I love to create something out of nothing. And so I think a creator, a storyteller is the dream always. How that manifests, we'll see. I think that that's amazing. And, and I won't lie, I haven't always felt this way. Historically, the idea of change has really stressed me out. I'm the type of person where I go to a restaurant and I'm like, I really want to order that thing I've always ordered before because if I order this new thing, I'm going to be so disappointed if it's not good. Like, that's me. I really struggle with disappointment and change. And I've been really actively trying to unlearn that because I think we're supposed to change. I think that is the point of life. I think Mm. you wouldn't be able to survive if you didn't change because changing in essence, what it really means is implementing lessons into your life, is pivoting, is adjusting to your circumstances. Our circumstances are always changing. Our situations are always changing. So how can we not change? And I think part of my resistance is that, especially when you're in the public eye, 
the idea of changing is associated with a weakness. It's a, it's it's an it's an insult. It's a judgment on you. I'm breaking that agreement too. Everyone changes. The person making that comment has also changed. And if we don't change, yeah, we're not learning and we're not growing. So I think we need to like redefine how we think of that you've changed type of sentiment. What got you to the point where you are at today? When did that shift happen? Honestly, it's actively happening. There are still parts of me that are still resistant to change. I still go into a restaurant, like I said, and order the same thing usually. I honestly think it's just that I put myself in enough situations where change is forced, where I no longer have a choice. I think it's very easy to not change if you stay in your comfort zone because your situation doesn't change, your circumstances don't change. I think I have had to change by force, honestly, is I've put myself in enough situations where I'm like, oh, there's no physical, mental, emotional way for me to not change because I've put myself in a predicament where there's new people around me, there's new goals, there's new ways of doing things. I'm going to have to pivot. And yes, to your point, it takes a lot of therapy. I am a huge advocate of therapy. I try to go once a week, meditation, reflection, a new thing where I'm not going to lie. I haven't done this before. I might have lied previously and said I did, but I'm actually truthfully doing it now. I have been journaling relentlessly. And I never used to journal because I was like, I have a right for work. I like a right to be creative. I'm really trying to write in my spare time. Sounds like a lot of work. And then like, I got to go find a cute journal. And like, I'm very picky about the pen I use. Like it's a whole thing, right? But the reason I started journaling to tie back to our previous conversation is according to Google and my therapist, the number one way to improve your ego strength is by journaling. Wow. I must have good ego strength then. I didn't know that. You journal a lot? I've been journaling weekly since I was like basically 15 years old. That is amazing. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Okay, so for folks that are wanting to create the pattern of being a little bit more comfortable with change, what you're telling them is get into journaling and to build that muscle. I think that that's really great because the the ego strength is the important part. Yeah, I'm also going to say one more thing. If the question is specifically how to become more comfortable with change, there's one easy thing you can change in your life to be more comfortable with change. And I think that's the people you surround yourself with. Mm-hmm. I noticed that when I would hang around with people that were also scared of change, I felt comfort in there. Yes. So w- one thing I really do is I have a lot of conversations with people that have pivoted in their career a bunch of times. I make sure I have people in my friend circle who are open to trying new things, who are not scared of taking risks, because I feel like I feed off that energy. And I'm like, oh, because here's the thing. Discomfort is uncomfortable, obviously. It becomes slightly more comfortable when there's other people to be uncomfortable with. Totally, totally. Because it normalizes it. Okay, so I have some very exciting news. We just launched our very own course. Now, it's not just a course, but an all-encompassing career playbook that will help you spark your career renaissance and help you go from stuck to success by unlocking your differentiators. We created in collaboration with creative leadership coach, Tori Lazar. Think of Tori as your accountability partner and sounding board through it all. Click the link in the show notes to join today. You're listening to my chat with Lily. Next up, she talks about helping out her competitors, even when society tells women we shouldn't. Let's get back into it. So speaking of change, Stephen Colbert recently announced Taylor Tomlinson as the newest host of After Midnight. Yes, yes, yes. I know. I saw this. I've been trying to like not have that much phone time. But when I saw that, I was 
I was two things, actually. I was beyond ecstatic because nobody wants to be the last anything. This makes me so happy. But I was also like, maybe she's nervous. Maybe this is a lot of pressure. I know what I did. It was a nervous and a lot of pressure. And so like I immediately slid into her DMs and I was like, if you ever want to connect, I am here. I'm just I want her to win so badly. I just wish her the best. And if she ever needs anything from me that I could possibly offer. I mean, she seems so amazing. But if she ever wants to know about the experience, I'd be so happy to download anything I potentially know that could help her. I want her to win so badly. It's really important. I think when I was in that experience, I didn't have many people to lean on that could relate to being a, a woman in late night. I mean, there's so many people that paved the path before me, but there were none that were actively doing it at that time. And that was always a little lonely. I may not have any answers to give her at all, but I'm just cheering her on. I want her to know that like, if she ever needs someone to not feel lonely and to lean on, I will so be there for her because women need to relentlessly support each other and have collective wins. Yeah, I love that. I have a friend that always talks about how it's important to like pave the way, but continue to like guide. Once we get there, once we get a seat at that table, we we enter that boardroom, whatever it may be, that advocacy is important. It is. And the system is designed, especially for women, to make us adopt this scarcity mindset. Like there can only be one. But I have to say the women that paved the path for me have never treated me like that. If not in late night, if we're talking anything else, if we talk about the Briancas, the Mindys, anyone else, well, they have never treated me like that. They've always been like, what do you need? You need advice? What you got? Get on the phone with me. It is only right that we each pay that forward. Absolutely. I love it. And so whether it's Taylor, whether it's anyone else in any other thing, like if I can ever be like, girl, let me tell you the real, real. And let me tell you what's up. Like, I am happy to do that if I can offer anything. Yeah, no, I love that. Can I just be real for a second? Like, I'm going to be, I'm assuming a lot of girls and women probably listen. Podcast called Girl Boss. I'm sure it's, it's a mix of people. But if you can relate to this, great. If not, then maybe. Sorry. But like, I think me in my life, I have had to catch myself time and time again giving into this mindset. Like there's so many times from when my, the beginning of my career in 2010 to right now where my first instinct sometimes is like, if I support this other creator, am I doing myself a disservice? And this is fed to us by everyone of like, but what if there's only like, there's another, exactly what you said about if there's another black girl, sometimes there's another brown girl. Oh my God, like what if there's, but what if they only need one brown girl for the show? Like, should I really be wishing her good luck? Like it's me against her. I've had to catch myself in this so many times because it's so scary and so difficult, but it is so important for us to be like, I see that thought, I am not subscribing to that thought. I have to, in my small way today, I have to break that system. Because if we don't, that is going to be the reality for forever. It's like we all collectively have to make a decision to be like, no, you will not convince us. One of us can succeed. All of us are making a choice that all of us will get what we deserve. And I think that we have to make that scary choice every day. Yeah, no, totally. And I think that this actually is interesting because it leads to my next question. In 2017, you wrote a book about how to be a boss. What about the book is still relevant to you today? Okay, so I have two books. I have a How to Be a Boss and I have Be a Triangle. And the only reason I bring up the fact that I have two books is because each of them are relevant to me today. But talking about change, if you ever want to see how someone has changed, look at the books they've written because you're like, oh, okay, 2017, 2015, Lily, you had a lot of different thoughts that you are disagreeing with today. So I think. How to be a boss was all about hustle. You know, this was when I was starting my career. It was all about how to make the best first impression, how to like go into a room and dominate, how to be confident, how to do all that. And there's a lot of stuff in that book I still use and believe till this day. However, the thing that was not in that book is what does all of that mean? 
what does it mean to hustle? Why do you hustle? What does it mean to go into a room and feel the need to have to be confident to get people's validation because you want this dream job? It got a little deeper. Be a triangle is about there's all these tactics you can use. There's all these ways to be a boss. Why do you want that? Why do you really want that? And I'm not talking about the BS reason you tell yourself being like, I want this dream job. This is on my vision board. And then there's a deeper reason of like why we actually do the thing, which is like, oh, yes, I want to support my family, but that's because I feel pressure to take care of them because no one took care of me and I don't want them to live that trauma. There's a, oh, because it's on my vision board and the real reason is because uh, I really need to be validated in this way because like I have something deeply, deeply missing in my spirit. So what I say is be a triangle was like, Lily, be real. Like, why do you want this stuff? Why was it so important for you to hustle? Why was it so important for you to pull all-nighters and make your dreams come true? And so there's bits of both book that I still believe in and that still are me, but I'm a work in progress. And so Listen, I'm never going to write another book, to be honest with you, because it's a lot of work. But if I was to write another <laughs> book, it would probably be really different from the other two. I guess never say never. Let me never say never. But books are a lot of work. Yeah. So the role of shame still plays a significant role in like all of our lives, especially with women. How has it influenced your career? So I've been actively learning about the topic of shame for the past two-ish years. And what's prompted that is I've really completely dived into my personal mission of trying to abolish gender inequality. You know, I started my fund called Unicorn Island Fund, and we're all about empowering girls and women in general, but specifically in India as well. And when I started to really dive in about, and let me just stop myself here, because again, if you're listening to this, you're like, facts, 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 true. Or you're like rolling your eyes a little bit, being like this conversation. And I'm fully aware of that. The topic of gender inequality is a very unsexy one. It feels so overwhelming. It feels very like, this is so massive. What are we going to do about this? Like, just shut up about this already. But I have been learning a lot about it. It is the personal chip on my shoulder for various reasons. And the reason I've been diving into shame is because I believe that shame is one of the main things that upholds the patriarchy. It upholds gender inequality. It is the main weapon used against minority groups and especially used against women. If you think about A lot of the things in your life, chances are you've never thought about them through the lens of shame, but shame was definitely a weapon used against you. If you're listening to this, I'm 100% guaranteeing you that shame has been used against you, whether you identified that or not. It is in what we wear and what we choose to say, what we choose to not say, what we choose to do for money, whether we choose we deserve money or not. It is just so deeply embedded into how girls and women are treated. And so I've really been reading books and reading articles and trying to understand what shame is because it seems like such a vague concept, but I've been identifying it and I've been finding it in certain ways and finding how to abolish it. And one of the ways, which is great because like all these dots are about to connect, one of the main ways to abolish shame and how it's used as a weapon is to expose it. The main way to expose it is through storytelling. So I feel like my superpower of being a storyteller really lends well to me wanting to abolish gender inequality. When it comes to navigating shame, what advice would you give to your past self? You know, that's a tough question because I don't think my past self would have known I was dealing with shame. I think my past self wouldn't have been able to identify shame. I think, for example, like I wanted to not have the linear life of like getting the degree, getting married, having kids very much to my Indian parents' (laughs) dismay. I went a really different direction. And if I could go back and give myself advice in those times, it would probably honestly just be to ask more questions. And it reminds me of Simon Sinek with all of his books around starting with why. I love that. And I think that speaking of like you've been super, super vulnerable throughout your entire career, have been showing up like authentically. Was there a particular moment in your career when you realized the importance of embracing vulnerability? 
I don't think I ever had a moment where I was like, and now I will be vulnerable. And now I will, from the get-go, I think I've just always had a hard time. Shout outs to my publicists that are listening to this. I think I've always had a hard time with me having a thought that I believe in and anyone, my parents, society, community, anyone being like, but maybe that's not right. Because I don't think that creates an, and it's not about being right or wrong. It's more so about people saying, I don't think that experience is right. How can your experience not be right? You know, I think we're so fixated on being like wrong, right, black, white, this, that, good, bad. It's like, Sometimes as humans, we have experiences and we don't have to define them as good, bad, right, wrong. They're just experiences that need to be shared because there's someone else out there that has had that experience. And I think that is my fear also about like the culture created online is when someone shares their experience, our immediate response is to put that experience into a box and category. But what if we're just here sharing our experience being like, I don't know what to make of this. I don't know if this was the right thing or the wrong thing to do, but that's not about if it was the right or wrong thing to do. It's just about that I had this experience and I want to create community with other people that have had this experience so that we can talk about it together. What if it's as simple as that? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think that when we have like a binary way of thinking about our shared experiences or even someone's individual experience, that's like one of the reasons why people don't share their stories. Yeah, nuance is a really important word. Yeah. You know, there's... One side, another side, and the truth is somewhere in the middle. So I want to talk to you a little bit about how do you navigate the responsibility that comes along with being the first? You saw my body language go, because I'm like bracing myself, because my reaction to being the first is completely two things at the same time always. It is great excitement and gratitude, and it is also immense pressure and unhappiness, to be honest. Like I was going to say discomfort, but it's not even that. It's untrue unhappiness. Let's be real. It's really cool to be like, oh my God, I get to say I'm the first at something. That's freaking cool. I get to pave a new path. I get to be part of building something now because of this. The unselfish way to look at this is because of this. Other people get to do this thing. That's really cool. The flip side of that is when you are the first of anything, you have very little to lean on. It is an extremely lonely place full of pressure you have to learn lessons for the first time too. You can't really study up on what did people before me do? How did they get through this? You are kind of the guinea pig and you are the person that people figure things out with and figure out how they feel with. And that can be a lot of pressure and heat going towards one person. It also means that the network doesn't really know how to market you and you're the guinea pig for that. So it is the sharpest of double-edged swords For a long time, I held a lot of resentment against myself. Honestly, post late night, I was like, what is your obsession with having to break the mold? What is your obsession with having to, I honestly used to beat myself up a little bit to be like, why can't you just do the thing other people are doing? Like stop putting yourself in this position. And then I heard a little voice inside me being like, you're just that person. You are just that person. And it has been amazing and difficult at the same time. Yeah. Thank you for your vulnerability. For everyone listening, what advice do you have for the folks who may feel judgment or shame when it comes to their ambitions? I encourage everyone to really study up on two things. And they might seem seemingly unrelated, but I promise you they will change your life. One is just just read up on shame and read up on how shame as a weapon is actually displaced. It is currently displaced in our culture and society because shame is a useful tool to keep society in check, to keep people in. But right now it's keeping ambition in check. That was never supposed to be the goal of shame. The goal of shame is to make it so that you don't 
hurt other people. You're not selfish to other people. You don't abuse other people. Like those are appropriate uses of shame. Shame abusers. Don't shame victims. Like shame is totally displaced in our culture right now. And I encourage you all to break that agreement. Search up shame. Search up how it is used to control ambition in women, whatever group you may be part of. Just learn about that. And then I want you to fully, fully step into your power of storytelling. Because I think the direct combat to shame is storytelling. And I'll give you a really nerdy example because I'm going to end on a nerdy note because I promised you I would be a nerd. If you're sitting there wondering, like, she keeps talking about storytelling. It's such a vague concept. How can storytelling actually change anything? It's things that change things are money or they're science. So I read this amazing article that perfectly illustrates the power of storytelling. And that is, as a listener right now, if you are listening and I say to you, gender inequality is a really big issue. In fact, so many people around the world don't want to have daughters because they don't value daughters. That's crappy for you to hear. And you're probably like, okay. But if I tell you the exact same information in the method of, so when I was born, actually, my great-grandparents were super disappointed in my birth. And no one called my mom to congratulate her for my birth. And no one was happy about my birth. And I heard so many stories about other parents who got rid of their kids because they were girls. That probably impacts you in a way that's slightly different. And that is because our brains are biologically wired to take in stories and feel stories more. So there is a lot of science behind it. There's a lot of reasons I could tell you of why you need to tell your story no matter what it is. But just believe me and trust me when I say overcome shame and fear and tell your story because it is so immensely important. I think that's a great way to leave this conversation. Lily, thank you so much. Thank you for creating such a safe space and having conversation. You know, I'm not, I'm not gonna lie. Every time like I do something, I'm like, and I'm gonna sit here for an hour. Or, like I got my hair and makeup done. I'm wearing this suit. And then I'm always like, it's really a testament to the person I'm speaking to. And I can just feel like, oh, I'm talking to a friend and it's like a safe conversation. We're being real. So thank you. And that's a wrap on our debut episode of season three. If you've been here since the first season, thank you. I am so grateful. How do you feel about this new format? What do you think about Liz and Victoria? Let me know. I really want to hear your thoughts. This podcast is produced by Liz Goober and Victoria Christie. By the way, you just met them. And edited by Diego Domine. Until next time, keep blooming. Keep blooming.